Sadi. We begin with the Mishnah at the bottom of the previous daf. Uh, it teaches a very interesting case. Kunam Alright, there's a couple of uh, complex cases. Let's talk about the simpler cases first. If a wife says, I am prohibited from giving any benefit to my father or your father, then the husband cannot annul that vow because it does not directly affect their relationship. Even if the husband is pleased and is happy, benefits and indirectly from a wife uh, giving something to his father, uh, but nevertheless, she doesn't have to, so if she says, I'm not going to anymore, cannot annul it. On the other hand, if a wife says, I am not going to give any benefit to you, my husband, then that certainly is our, uh, our um, grounds for the husband annulling it, because that will directly affect their marriage. In both of these cases, we're now combining the two, one being an if clause and one being the then clause, right? The uh, the the condition and then the result of if that condition is fulfilled as follows. The first one is, I uh, if I give something to you, my husband, if I benefit you, then I, I will be prohibited from giving benefit to you, my father or your father. <clears throat> so here the problematic part, uh, which is giving anything to her husband, is in the, the if, if statement. The second one is flipped around. If I do something nice for your father or my father, then I am not permitted to give uh, uh, to give benefit to you. Okay, so what's the law in these two cases? The Mishnah says the husband can nullify it. Why? Well, let's look at each one. If she says, if I do something good for you, then I cannot benefit my father or your father. So now, although... Uh, it's, uh, although she can go ahead and continue to give benefit to her husband, and then the result will simply be that she cannot give benefit to her father or your father. So it is, although it is possible that she can continue giving benefit to her, to her husband, nevertheless, this does impinge it. It's giving a, a disincentive to her to go and give benefit to her husband. And the husband can say, I don't like that. That does affect me, right? If you have a negative consequence for giving benefit to me. No, I don't want you to have that vow so he can annul it. Uh, that's one case. The other case where she says, if I do something nice for my father or your father, then I cannot benefit for, to you. Here Now, although technically uh, she can just sim simply refrain from giving benefit to the fathers, and that way um, she can continue giving benefit to her husband, but the husband here can say, no, I don't want anything to be even a a result of a condition that would be uh, you can't benefit, uh, give benefit to me, right? I don't like that. I don't have, I don't like having something hanging over my head that creates some tension. I feel some tension here in our relationship because uh, I know that if you do something, then I won't be able to benefit from you. Therefore, Mishnah says, although there are ways around it, the husband can say, I don't like this. This is too tense for me. And you are either, you know, doing something that will threaten that you won't be able to get benefit from me or you'll be going to do, if you get benefit from me, then you're going to have some negative consequence. And that does affect our relationship. So yes, he can annul it. That is the Mishnah. Okay, Gemara. Tanya. Sheni nenet le'aba ul'avicha imani osa le'picha. Rebinatan omer lo yafer. Hachamim omerim yafer. Now we're going to see a Braita with the same case 
But we're going to learn that's actually a machloket. If a, a wife says, uh, a wife says as follows, if I do something for your mouth to her husband, meaning if I give benefit to you, then I will not give benefit to my father or uh, to your father. All right, uh, one or the other, different scenarios. Okay, in either one of these, the Bina Natan actually says, he cannot, Chachamim says, that the husband can nullify it. Now, Chachamim say he can nullify it. That's exactly what we saw in the Mishnah. The husband can say, I don't like that you're putting a, uh, a negative consequence on giving benefit to me, right? I want you to freely give benefit to me and without having to think about a negative consequence that will follow any kind of prohibition that you're putting on yourself. Therefore, it does affect our relationship. This is a problem of Beni Bena. However, the Binatan says, not necessarily. Um, she can simply continue to give benefit to her husband, and then she'll create a prohibition that she cannot give benefit to her father or to her father-in-law. So what? So she won't give benefit to the father. Um, that doesn't mean, uh, right? So that's, uh, she can always make a prohibition like that upon herself, and that would be okay if she just made a simple vow. Therefore, she can make this complex vow, and um, the husband is not affected because she can still give, be, give to him. All right, so that's uh, the first part of the Braita. Second half of the Braita. Netula animena yudim im meshamashtecha. If a woman says, um, I, am, uh, 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 I am forbidden to all Jews if I have relations with you, my husband. Okay, so again, he's, she's making a condition that will, uh, will say if she. Um, if she has relations with her husband, which uh, she has to do, ketubah obligation, uh, then she will be prohibited forevermore um, after a divorce or, or he dies, she'll be prohibited from marrying, from being, have relation, have relation, having relations with any other Jew, meaning anybody else um, uh, that she potentially could marry uh, afterwards. So what about this? It's the same principle. Binatan says he cannot nullify it. Why? So she'll have relations with her husband. doesn't affect him. And then she's taking a prohibition upon herself. So she'll have that prohibition that she cannot be with any other Jews. But that's a separate matter. And that does not affect their relationship. Hachamim, however, says the husband can nullify it. Because what kind of condition is this? Right? He could say, I'm not comfortable with this. If you have relations with me, then that means you're going to take upon yourself some prohibition. Well, that's very tenuous. Then you're putting, uh, attaching a negative, uh, a negative restriction on your being with me. Uh, this does affect our relationship. I don't like it. I'm unnulling the whole thing. Okay, good. So now that we have that principle, let's see a story. It's a very interesting story. It's going to be the subject for a lot of discussion. So get, let's get all the details. A certain guy um, prohibits benefit from the world upon himself if he marries a wife while he has not yet learned halacha. In other words, he wants to force himself to become learned first. Um, he doesn't have to be gadol ador. Just learn basic halacha, learn some mishnah, and only then he will be permitted to get married and then that'll be fine. But if he should jump the gun and get married before he's learned, then he prohibits himself to benefit from any, from any, at all, from anything in the world. Now that's a big problem because that means he can't benefit from food, clothing, anybody, anything. So he won't live very long if it's actually triggered. 
Well, this could be a problem for him. Now, so anyway, this encourages him to go and, and study halacha. But he tried, and it doesn't work. He went and he would run up a ladder and rope, but he was not able to learn the material. Okay, there's a lot of uh, opinions about what these words mean, gapa and toblaya, that they translate here as ladder and rope. Uh, another interpretation is uh, uh, gapa is a, a, a small cutting tool attached to a long pole that you use to cut uh, dates off from a tree. And toblaya is a, um, is a basket. In other words, it's giving an analogy to he would go all around trying to collect dates, trying to cut down dates and collect them in a basket. And he was not able to collect any dates. The analogy is he went everywhere. He did everything he could to try to start, to try to learn Mishnah. Um, but he was unable to, uh, he went from teacher to teacher, nobody could get through to him, he wasn't able to remember it, he wasn't able to grasp it, grasp it, and then he was really stuck because now he can't learn the halacha, he can't get married because if he gets married, then this will uh, trigger the result, the condition of the vow. So what is he going to do? He has a good friend who helps him. So um, uh, his friend or his teacher, he's a great sage, and he, this Ravacha, uh, misled the guy, indicating that it's okay, you can get married anyway, despite the vow. And based on Ravacha's advice, the guy goes and gets married. Now, this was misleading because, in fact, he has the vow on him, and now, as soon as he gets married, he's not learned. Uh, now, he's prohibited from any benefit from anything in the world. And so, Ravacha smeared him with clay. He was prohibited for him to uh, wear any clothing. So now, just to have a little bit of modesty, he put some clay on him, uh, so at least he could walk around. And they came to Rav to figure out what to do to uh, absolve the vow. Uh, see, at this point, um, this is grounds to absolve the vow. You know, did you realize that it would be so hard to learn Mishnah, and now you're going to have to walk around wearing clay, right? Have you realized that? Would you have made the vow? Probably he's going to say, no, I would not have made the vow, right? I didn't realize what I was saying. Okay, so Rav Chista undid the vow. Rava, who was a colleague of Rav Chahavuna, praises his colleague and says, how wise... Did Rav, what did what is Ravacha and what he did? He loved Ravacha Baravuna de Gabrada Bahu, right? If not Ravacha, who is a great man, right? Who could who was so wise to uh, give him this advice if not Ravacha? And what's so great that he did that he had to uh, in other words, why do you have to trick him first to marry and then go and dissolve it? The, the question of the story is why didn't the Ravacha tell him, listen, before he got married, listen, come to Rav Chista, tell him, the, tell him your vow, and he'll undo it, right? Because isn't it already pressing circumstances beforehand? If he says, listen, if I should marry, then I'll be prohibited from everything in the world. Wouldn't that be grounds enough, uh, just as is? Why do you have to trick him to get married first, have the prohibitions of the condition triggered, and only then go to Rav Chista? Ah, uh, here's why he did that. The kasabad, the chi hechi de peligi rabbanan verbinatan behafara, hachi name peligi besheela. Because Ravacha understood that just like Rabbanan and Rabbinatan um, disagree with each other regarding 
hafara, so too they disagree regarding she'ela. What, what's, what's about hafara? That's what we saw in the baraita that we started with based on the Mishnah. Um, that Rabbi Natan said, if, when you have, whenever you have um, an if-then statement um, like this, right? If I do something for you, uh, then I'll be prohibited. So Rabbi Natan said the husband cannot nullify it. Why not? Uh, because if it's only one, if the, the, the problematic part is only one half of it, either only the if or only the then, then the husband cannot nullify it. Why? Because she's not saying, I vow that I'm not going to do anything for you. She just says, if I do something good for you, then I'll have a, a, a then I won't be able to do something for a father. And so Rabbi Natan says, that's not grounds for nullification. The same thing is true, Rabbi Natan would say, regarding She'ela, going to a sage to undo the vow. It will be the same thing. Even if there are grounds to devote, uh, there are grounds to nullify a vow uh, by a sage, if the condition is triggered, he cannot nullify it until the condition is actually triggered. And Hachamim would say, just like they say, regarding nullification, regarding nullification by a husband, that a husband can nullify it, even if it's just one part, even if it's just the if clause or just the, or just the conditional clause, the husband can still nullify it, right? That was clear in the Mishnah's cases, um, where she says, if I do something good for a father, and then I'll be prohibited to you. So, Chachamim said, yeah, she can annul it. Uh, the husband can annul it as soon as he hears it, even before anything bad happens, even before she, um, she gives benefit to the, uh, to, to the, to the father, and before the prohibition would fill, would, would, um, would, would uh, kick in, uh, for her to give benefit to him. Um, she, uh, already he can nullify that, right? I don't even like hey, you having an if then that will, that can result in something against me. Um, so, Rav Acha, uh, Rava rather, uh, here is, um, going back to here, Rava says, I understand why Rav Acha did that, because they disagree not only regarding Hafara, but rather also She'ela, and this would have, this would assume that we're following Rabbi Natan. Uh, because according to Chachamim, uh, just like a husband can nullify the vow in any case, so too, according to Chachamim, they would be able to go to Rav Chista before he got married and say, listen, I have an if-then. If I do the if, if I get married, then I'm going to have a big problem. Can I nullify it from now? According to Rabbanan, yes, you'd be able to, the, the sage would be able to nullify the vow even before it gets triggered. But we're assuming that we're following the minority opinion of Rabbi Natan, um, that there's no way to annul the annul the vow, not by the husband and not by a rabbi, before the problematic condition kicks in. That's why he had to trick him to get married first. Once he gets married, now he has a crazy uh, prohibition upon himself that he can't even wear any clothes. And only now, and only now, Rav Chista can, uh, can nullify it. So that's why Rava is praising Rav Achabar Ravuna for um, making him violate, or rather trigger, the vow. Uh, he didn't yet violate the vow, he just did the if. So now the then is triggered, and once he's in that situation, now it becomes eligible for She'ela. All right, so all that is one understanding of the halacha, and in that understanding, the story makes sense according to the, to the Binatan. We're now going to see a second 
and third explanation of the machloket, of the halacha, and then we'll see whether it applies to the story or not. We're going to see the second one now actually does also uh, explain what Ravacha did in the story uh, very well, not only according to Benatan, even according to Rabbanan, as follows. Don't, don't mistake Rav Papi for Rav Papa. They are two different sages, uh, even though they lived around the same time. Um, uh, he says that the machloket between the Binatan and, uh, and the Rabbanan that we saw in the Braita above applies only to Hafara, whether a husband can or cannot undo the vow. Uh, where the Binatan is uh, stringent, he says, no, he cannot undo the vow, where only the, the if or only the then is a problematic part. Uh, and the Binatan said, the husband can only annul the vow if the if part of it was triggered, and then the then part um, now applies, uh, and then that would make her prohibited to her husband. Then the husband can nullify it. Rapapi is not only, is not going, only going to explain the machloket differently. He also is providing sources from pesukim for each side. The sources are um, a little difficult to explain. They're, they're more like uh, hints, not really derivations from the Torah, but rather from Yeshaya. Uh, says that the moon shall be confounded, but he's reading hafera with a hayat as if it was a he. Uh, apparently. Not everybody distinguished so so much between he and hayat, and so for the the rasha purposes, you can interchange them. And if you change it to a he, vehafera, like vehafer, halebana, and lebana is something that exists already. The sun, like looks like the moon exists, so you can only nullify a vow that already exists, that's already in force. Only if it's already in force and it's impinging on their relationship, then the husband can nullify it. But if it's not yet in force, if it's only based on a conditional, if something happens, then um, I cannot benefit you, uh, then uh, the Rebinatan says, no, you can, the husband cannot. Rabbanan, on the other hand, says the husband can nullify the vow even if it did not yet apply. In other words, even if the condition did not yet was not yet triggered, she didn't do the if to trigger the then that would cause them to be separate. Uh, or for her to not have benefit to him, um, it's still, he can say, oh, I don't like this whole thing of having a condition that can be a negative consequence to me. How does Rabbana know that he can do that? From Pasuk in the Yob, that says he nullifies the thoughts of the crafty, referring to Hashem, who even the thoughts of someone evil, he says he has a plan. Oh, I'm going to devise a plan. I'm going to, here's my plan to go rob the bank. God even destroys his plans. Even before he even tries to actually do it, that guy's plans get all messed up. In other words, don't even go clo- come close. Hashem does not let a person come close. Um, but the words mefer uh, uh, here we're taking as the technical term for nullifying a vow. And uh, we learn from here that you can nullify even the thoughts, uh, even before it goes into effect, where if a wife has thoughts um, that if I do this, then it will have a negative consequence, even if they don't come into effect, even, the, even t- such, uh, such thoughts, that um, could be, uh, could lead to something bad, can be mefed, can be nullified. All right, good. So now we see how, uh, how they each learn 
that they're derived, and both of them are from mefer or chafera, which we read as hefer, but that only relates to a husband. Aval bish'ela, divrea kol en chacham matir kelum, elaim ken hal neder, tichtiv lo yachel de But if regarding a request made to a sage, everyone agrees, rabinatan and rabbanan, that a chacham cannot undo a vow unless the condition, the problematic condition, has already applied. As it says, lo yachel devado. He cannot make chol, profane, just a word. If it's only words, if it's only an if, uh, if, it's only a condition based on an if that did not come into effect yet, and in this example, in this case, it's only a condition. He said, if I get married, then I cannot benefit from anything in the world. All right, so, but right now, he's permitted to benefit from everything in the world because he didn't trigger it yet. Only, so therefore, they couldn't go to the sage beforehand, only once he gets married without having learned. Then he triggers the condition, and the condition is unbearable. Then he can go to the sage who can say, oh, this is an unbearable uh, 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 situation, so I can undo the vow. And according to the, this, Papi's first explanation, we're going to see a second explanation of Papi in a second, According to this explanation, um, uh, what Rav Acha did was a good idea, a necessary idea, according to both Rabbi Natan and Rabbanan. Okay, so far so good. Now, let's see if we can bring a couple of proofs for the opinion of Rav Papi. Um, that's the end of the Braita. The Braita has a really fun, interesting, paradoxical case. A person says, I make a prohibition that I will not give you, I, I will um, not give you any benefit. Okay. Um, right, the property of so-and-so, I will not benefit from it. From it. Rather, I, I'm not going to receive any benefit from you. That's what a person says. I'm going to fight with you. I'm not getting any benefit from you. And now, this person knows that, you know what always happens in these cases? Um, you know, they make this vow, and then he feels bad later, and they go and undo it. And everybody knows they're going to undo it. It's like, you know, a couple is uh, breaks up, and everybody knows, ah, it's going to be two days, and they're going to go back together. And so this guy wants to show he really means it, right? I'm really, um, I'm really prohibiting the benefit uh, from you. And to show it, I'm going to say the, uh, add the following. I prohibit myself from benefiting from any sage that will uh, uh, undo the vow for me. Any sage that I ask and he undoes the vow for me, I forbid myself from benefiting from him. Therefore, if he does, uh, in a, you know, afterwards, go to a sage and says, hey, can you undo the vow that I made uh, that I'm not going to benefit from that guy? And the sage says, okay, I undo the vow. If so, he would be benefiting from the sage. The guy who made the vow will be benefiting from the sage. And he just added to his vow that he's not allowed to benefit from the sage. Therefore, if the sage should undo the vow that he made against the guy who is now his enemy, um, then turns out he the, the sage gave him benefit and he's not allowed to get benefit. Since he's not allowed to receive benefit, he can't use the uh, dissolution of the vow and he can't benefit from it. So he still won't be able to benefit from that, that a guy that he got into a fight with, right? And so uh, we have a fantastic uh, kind of um, uh, paradox where uh, right now, if I make the vow, I'm the one that makes the vow. Right now, I can benefit from this, this, uh, this sage. 
right? Because I didn't ask him anything yet. But the second I ask him, hey, can you undo the vow? Now I can't benefit from anything of that sage, including the benefit of his having undid the vow. And therefore, I can still, I still cannot benefit from the guy I had a fight with. So he's adding a layer of protection to say how angry he is that I'm making this vow against you and I, I, I won't be able to get out of it because any sage who undoes it for me, I won't be able to benefit from that sage and even undoing that that sage gave me. All right. In that case, we see he can still get out of it. How? First he undoes the first and then he undoes the second. He'll go to a sage and say, um, listen, I want to undo the first, this first vow I made against my friend. You know, he's really my friend and I feel bad about it. Now, I'm going to be prohibited from benefiting from that sage. So you know what I'm going to do? I go to a second sage and say, hey, listen, I'm not allowed to benefit from this first sage because of a vow I did. Can you undo that part, of the second part of the vow? And he undoes that part of the vow. Then he can benefit both from his friend and from the sage that undid the, that vow, the first part of the vow. And therefore, both parts are undone. But you see, look at the order. You have to do the first one first and then the second one second. Um, if you think that you can undo a vow, even if it did not kick in, then um, I can undo them in any order because I could go to a sage and say, listen, I made a vow that any sage that undoes a vow for me, uh, undoes the first vow for me, I'll be prohibited to him. Can you undo that one? And the sage could say yes. So I could do that first. And then I could go and, and then undo the first vow. Um, but the, this Baraita doesn't say so. It says I have to do it in order. Why? It must be I have to do it in order because I can't undo the second vow since it didn't kick in yet. The, the, pro, the prohibition of the second clause is kind of like an if-then clause. If I go to a, I go to a rabbi and I say, um, uh, uh, it's, it's as if I'm saying as the following if clause uh, when I make the nedet. I am prohibited to my friend. And if I ask of a sage to undo the first part, then I'll be prohibited from benefiting from that sage. So you see, it's an if-then clause. Um, before that if is triggered, the effect is not yet there. So I can't, if you would say that I cannot undo um, uh, uh, then, before the if is triggered, which is what Apapi said, then this whole Baraita makes sense. I can't undo the second part first because the second part was never triggered because I didn't ask him yet to undo the first thing. That's why I have to ask him, can you undo the first part of it that my, about my friend? And then if he does that, then it triggers the if clause. And then I'm prohibited from benefiting from that sage. Only then I can ask um, uh, to undo the second part of that clause. So you see, this proves that Apapi is right, that both, and this would be according to the banan also, that has to go in order because I have to trigger the, 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 the second one before I can ask it for it to be undone. That's why I have to do the first and then the second. This looks like a good proof, but then we question the reading. Wait, who knows which is first and second here? You don't have to read this braita that he has, has to, that the first means the first vow and the second means the second vow that he uttered. The first and second just might, might just mean in any order. He can, he can dissolve one first and then the other, whichever one he, whichever one he does first, right? I mean, you can't do them at the same time because there's two vows here. So it just means first, first, second, second. But actually, if it did the other way around, it would still work.
um, how would it still work? Because um, maybe you can un uh, undo a vow even if it was not triggered. So that's why he could do the second first. And once he undoes the problem that he's going to benefit from a sage, then he can ask the sage, oh, can you undo the vow that I get made against my friend? So there's really no absolute proof here because we don't know that Rishon and Sheni means uh, this first one mentioned and the second one mentioned. It could be that wh whichever one he chooses to dissolve first, that's fine. Whichever one he asks on first, and then he does a second one later. Okay, so no proof yet. But here's a second Braita that is going to be a good proof. Again, I get into a fight with my friend. I say, I'm not going to benefit from that guy. And if I ask about it, if I ask a sage to undo it, I'll be a Nazir. Okay, now this removes the paradoxical part of, part of it, um, but it still is going to mean that I'm not going to want to, it's kind of like saying giving protection. Listen, I have no, no benefit from you, and I'm not going to go to a sage, because you know why? If I go to a sage, I'm going to be a Nazir. Now that's a big obligation to take upon oneself, and I'm not going to want to be a Nazir, and therefore I'm not going to go to a sage to undo it, right? So I'm putting a big penalty upon myself, should I undo it, that's a big way of saying, I'm really not going to undo it. Now, after a few days, I calm down and I actually feel better and I actually want to undo it. Can I? Yes. Here's how the Breita says you do it. First, I would undo the neder, uh, meaning the, the, I would undo the, uh, the, the first part of it. I would go to the sage and say, listen, I made, I said that my friend, I can't benefit from him, but I made up, I didn't mean it. I want to undo that. And he undoes it. Now that he undid it, Oh, the second one gets triggered, and now I have to be a Nazir. So I'll go back to the sage and say, Listen, I said that I'm going to be a Nazir if I ask you to undo it. And now I'm going to be a Nazir, but I didn't mean to do it. I, I want to take it back. Can I dissolve it? Yes, then you can dissolve it. You see here, that has to be in this order in particular. Here it doesn't say just Dishon Shani, it names them. Right, first on the Nedir and then on the Nazir, which is clearly the second one. So this is a good proof. Because, If you say that you can dissolve a vow, even if the condition was not triggered of a vow, then then he could undo any one that he wants first. He could do the undo the first part first, or he can ask to undo the Nazir part first. Right, even though it wasn't triggered because he's not Neged and Nazir because he didn't ask to undo the first, he's only asking to undo the second, he would be able to. Um, so it shouldn't matter the order. The fact that this Baraita says you have to do the first one first and the second one second means that you can't do, undo the second one first because the second one was not yet triggered. Right, Abiresha. So this would seem to be a good proof that Rabbanan. Um, uh, that Rabbanan uh, agree um, that you have to do uh, the first and then second um, because you can only undo a vow uh, after it goes into effect. But actually, we reject this proof also because we say, no, Rabbi Natan, he could be that this Baraita is only the opinion of Rabbi Natan. And everyone agrees that Rabbi Natan thinks that you cannot undo a vow until it's triggered. And so there's no proof for Raf Papi that Rabbanan agree with Rabbi Natan, um, even though actually this Baraita doesn't say it's Rabbi Natan, but okay, it's anonymous Baraita, and it could be Rabbi Natan, so there's no absolute proof that Rabbanan would agree to it.
Okay, so that's where we end the, that discussion, the first discussion of the first version of Rav Papi, and we end up with no proof from either Braita that Rav Papi is right, that Rabbanan agree with Rabbi Natan that you cannot annul a vow that was not uh, triggered. Now we're going to see a second version of Rav Papi in the name of Ravina. Ravina says, um, said that Meremar told him that your father uh, said the name of Rapapi the follow as follows. This is gonna be the other way around of the first Rapapi. The machloket between Abinatan and Rabbanan that we saw in the Braita that we started with uh, was regarding hafarat that a husband cannot nullify a vow if the vow is only problematic in the if part or in the condition part. When it comes to a sage, everyone agrees that the sage can undo a vow even if the condition was not yet triggered. So according to this, it's super mekel, even Abinatan is lenient and says a sage can undo it. How do we learn that? Well, curiously, he learns it from the same pasuk as we brought before. Means that a sage cannot undo his own vow, um, but a, a sage can undo someone else's vow. And this teaches, even if it's just devado, even if it's only words, another sage can undo someone else's vow. Just me can't do his own, but he can, he, that's what means lo yachel devado, he cannot undo his own words, but he can undo uh, someone else's words, even if there was no action yet. It was only an if condition, and the if was not yet triggered. Still, you can undo it according to everyone. Okay, so that's Rapapi version number two. And now, what we brought above as attempted proofs, we're now going to bring as attempted challenges. The first one will not work, but the second one will actually work as follows. So this is the same logic as before. Metive, same cases. The first Braita says, if I make a vow that I'm not going to um, receive benefit from this guy, my friend, and also I will not receive benefit from a sage that I ask to dissolve the fir that first vow. Um, so it looks like I'm stuck because, if I again, if I ask the sage to undo the first vow, I won't be able to benefit from that sage or from his permission to go and uh, undo the first vow. So I'm still going to be prohibited from my friend. How can I really get out of it? I can undo the first one and then undo the second one. And it looks like we're going in order. According to you, the Ravina, second version of Rapapi, why do I have to go in that order? Why can't I ask, uh, why can't I undo on either one first um, uh, or, or the other one? In other words, even though it wasn't triggered yet, the second one was not triggered yet because I didn't yet ask the sage to undo the, the first vow against my friend, still I should be able to ask the sage, listen, I made a vow that if I ask a sage about the first vow, then I can't benefit from that. Can you undo that one? He should, then he should be able to, even if it wasn't triggered. We just said that according to Ravina, it's permitted. So it shouldn't matter what order I do it in. 
But yes, this says you have to ask about the first one first, and then the, and only then the second one. Isn't that a challenge? We say no, not necessarily. When it says first and second, it doesn't necessarily mean the first and second listed in the in the language that he took the vow in. It could just mean he just he uh, separately he asks on whatever he wants to first, and once that first one is done, then he can ask on the second, and it will work either way, because. Um, you can undo a vow even if it wasn't triggered. Okay, so there's no proof, there's no challenge from there. Metibes, second challenge. I am prohibited from benefiting from you. And I also, I will be a Nazir if I undo that first vow that I just made. In that case, Nishal al Nidro, Nishal al Nizro. In this Braita, the order is clear. First, he has to undo the vow to benefit from his friend, and only then he can, uh, un- he can undo the vow of, be- ask- of becoming a Nazir. Why? He should be able to do either one. If he wants to do the first one first, he can. But if he wants to undo the Nazir first, why not? Well, it, didn't, it wasn't triggered yet, but you just said, Ravina, that everyone agrees that a sage can undo even if it wasn't triggered. Yet this Braita clearly says you have to undo the first one first, and, um, uh, and only then, uh, when you undo the first one, then you're triggering the second. By, by asking a sage to undo uh, the, the first vow, then you're triggering the second vow, and now I have to be in Nazir. Once it's triggered, only once it's triggered, then the second one uh, kicks in, and so you see that the order does matter to Yufta, so this would be a conclusive proof against Ravina's interpretation of Rapapi. Instead, we're left with one of the first two interpretations that the there's Machloket in Hafara and in She'ela, or that the Machloket is only Hafara, but in She'ela, the Rabbanan agree that you cannot uh, undo a vow uh, if it was not, if the condition did not kick in, you have to wait for the condition to kick in. Let's leave the next Mishnah for the last and final daf. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen v'amen.